The reading this morning is taken from John, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Amen. And may God bless to our hearts' understanding this reading from his word, and to his name be all glory and honour and praise. Today, I want to start a short series looking at the theme, God with us. When we look around the world right now, we see such pain, suffering, anger, aggression, violence. Just look at the situation in Ukraine right now. Look at the situations in schools in the United States that we've heard of recently. Things that we wouldn't have thought imaginable in the past. We seem to live in a world so riven with discord, disagreement and hatred. We might well say that we need God with us more than ever. We recently looked at the book of Genesis over a few weeks. And it wasn't created to be this way. We were not created for this. It's clear that we were created 
to be with God. Scripture tells us in Genesis that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. God was with man in his creation. God created us to be in a relationship with him in the perfect world that he created for us. But as we saw in chapter 3 of Genesis, that all changed when man disobeyed God and sin entered the world, got in the way of that right relationship with God. Sin separates us from the God we were created to be with. But praise God, thankfully that is not the end of the story. God did not leave man there separated from him. Because God loves us so much, he made a way for us to come back to him. A way for us to be in a relationship with him. As a holy God, he cannot abide sin. And at the same time, we are unable to pay the price of sin. Man was unable to keep God's law. So God in his grace, his eternal grace, made another way. A way for the price of sin to be paid. For us to come back to him. I want to ask you a wee question this morning. How many of you have been camping? Now, I'm talking about camping in a tent. Not in a huge motorhome. Camping in a tent. Now, it might have been years ago as a child. Maybe in the Boy Scouts and the Girl Guides. I remember going on family camping trips as a wee boy. Normally down the Solway coast, somewhere it used to be. So, how many of you, great, I'm going to go all teacher on you, how many of you remember going camping at any time? Excellent, correct answer. So, many of us probably understand the basics of pitching a tent and living in a tent temporarily. Maybe, maybe I'm sticking my neck out here, maybe some of us even remember the challenges of trying to put that tent up and of not losing our temper when the poles didn't quite fit together or you couldn't find the tent pegs or you hadn't or maybe your wife hadn't packed the mallet to actually knock them in with. Feel free to ask Susan later. We've had some interesting camping trips over the years. And it can be a challenge, let's be honest. I don't think I could do it now, to be fair. But our Bible passage today in verse 14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now the word that is transferred, the word that's there in the English is dwelling comes from the Greek verb skenu, to dwell, which is related to the word skeni for tent. 
which implies making a dwelling as in pitching a tent or making a tabernacle. It's got that connection to camping. The sense of this word is not just that the word of God comes to earth, but that God pitches his tent with us. Jesus sets up camp with the people of the earth. In spite of the fact that he's got a much better arrangement elsewhere, already available. When Jesus became a human being, God was setting up camp with humans. In the incarnation, God was pitching God's tent among God's people. Most religions of the world have stories of some form of divine being visiting humanity. But in Christianity, the divine does more than just stop by for a visit. God actually sets up camp with us, pitches his tent among the people, and becomes a real flesh and blood human being. Pope John Paul II wrote this. He said, What distinguishes the Christian faith from all other religions is the certainty that the man Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the second person of the Trinity who came into the world. This is not just an appearance, but the actual incarnation of God himself in human form. Think with me for just a moment the significance of this image, the significance of this image of God pitching a tent rather than, say, inhabiting a building. Tents are temporary. They wear out. They only give partial shelter from the elements. The same can be said about humanity. Human life is temporary. Human bodies wear out. The human condition only gives partial sheltering from suffering. But Jesus came to be a real human being, experiencing mortality, pain, frailty, suffering, and humiliation. All experiences that God chose to embrace when he became human. Not at all like the divine experience of perfection, peace, and permanence. Jesus chose to step out of glory and be born as a baby in that Bethlehem manger. God in human flesh. As part of God's great redemption plan so that we might have a way back to him. Jesus, the only perfect man to ever walk this earth, fully God and fully man, that he might give himself as a ransom for all.
that he could be the perfect sacrifice, wholly pleasing to God. A sacrifice that we could never give. A ransom we could never pay. At university I studied some of the works of the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. He sought to describe the incarnation of God in Christ with a simple illustrative story. A certain king was very rich. His power was known throughout the world. But he was most unhappy, for he desired a queen. Without a queen, the vast palace was empty. One day, while riding through the streets of a small village, he saw a beautiful peasant girl. So lovely was she that the heart of the king was won, and succeeding days he would ride by her house on the mere hope of seeing her for a moment in passing. He wondered how he might win her love. He thought, I will draw up a royal decree and require her to be brought before me to become queen of my land, become my bride. But as he considered, he realised that she was a subject and that would mean her being forced to obey. He could never be certain that she would have chosen to obey, that she would love him. Then he said to himself, I shall call on her in person. I will dress in my finest royal robes, wear my diamond rings, have my silver sword at my side, my shiny black boots, and my most colourful tunic. I will overwhelm her and sweep her off her feet to become my bride. But as he pondered the idea, he knew that he would always wonder had it been for what he was wearing and for the riches and for who he was. Then he decided to dress as a peasant, drive to the town and have his carriage let him off. In disguise as a peasant, he would approach her house. But somehow, the duplicity of this plan didn't appeal to him. At last, he knew what he must do. He would shed his royal robes. He would go to the village and become one of the peasants. He would work and suffer with them. He would actually become one of them. This he did and won his bride. God in Christ became one of us. He took upon him the form of human flesh to dwell among us. Jesus, God incarnate, the word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus pitched his tent among us. The very God who created the universe, God Almighty himself, humbled himself by willingly being born as a tiny baby in a manger and living as one of us with all our frailties 
and suffering. All of this he did out of sheer love, perfect love for all of us. All to make a way for us to be in a right relationship with our Father God. And because he loves us so much, he gave us free will. The right to choose whether to follow him in faith or not. He so wants to be in a relationship with us, his beloved creation. But he will never force us. He wants the best for us and wants us to choose to come to him in faith. That way we can have an abundant life in Christ. I count myself as being really fortunate as I had parents who were both people of faith and I was brought up being told about Jesus. Particularly in present day society, many people have nobody in their immediate family or friends to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Many of you know I teach as a day job. And when I started teaching 30 years ago, in an average class of 10-year-olds, the majority of them, whether they had faith or not, the majority of them knew that to Christians, Jesus was the Son of God. That's not the case anymore. When, I'm, when classes come up to me as primary sevens, 10, 11 years old, and I'm doing Christianity as part of their RME, it's clear for some of them that I'm the first person to explain that to them. So our society is not the same as it was. People don't have what many of us had, people to tell them the good news of Jesus. It takes us as believers to love people enough to share the joy we have in Christ. As part of my first degree, I studied psychology. Psychologists will tell you that many of the problems we have in today's society stem from the fact that people are searching to fill an emptiness in their lives. And the issues come from what they choose to fill that emptiness with. Be that alcohol, drugs, overeating, the security of a gang, violence, whatever it might be. I believe that we were created to be in that relationship with God. And at the heart of each of us, I believe there's a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. Nothing in the world will ever be able to satisfy that innate hunger we have inside of us for a relationship with Christ. We were created to be that way. I often think to myself, where would I be now, today, if nobody had told me about Jesus? Quite frankly, it's something I don't know that I want to contemplate. 
But I do know this, that the good news of Jesus Christ, of God with us, is so significant, so life-transforming, that we have to find a way to share that with other people. That they might have the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I do wonder, when you look at the ups and downs of life, and we've had plenty of those over the last two or three years, I do wonder, how do you begin to do this thing we call life? How do you begin to cope with life without that blessed assurance we sang of, without having God in that life? don't think I could do it. Being fully God and fully man when he stepped out of glory to be born as that baby in Bethlehem, he knew exactly what lay ahead of him, what he would have to endure for our sake. We often think of the baby in the manger quite separately from Jesus on the cross. Perhaps because we focus on one at Christmas time and one at Easter time. It's important for us to realise, to truly appreciate the same Jesus born as a tiny flesh and blood baby is the very same man who poured out that very same blood on the cross of Calvary for all of us so that we might be reunited with God and be saved from the penalty of sin the penalty that is rightfully ours he that was without sin took on the sins of all mankind just take a moment to think what he endured for us Sounding the knowledge that he was fully God and fully man, feeling physical pain, heartache, grief and sorrow just as you and I would. And that's how much he loves us. Enough to become one of us and to die for us. And you know, Here's the thing. If it had been only for you, individually alone, he would still have gone to that cross just for you. That's how much he loves you. On that cross, the price was paid in full for our sin. Death was defeated. For Christ rose again and he is alive today and sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. And he promises us that we need never be alone. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God was with us when he was born in a manger. 
He was with us when he trod that agonising path to the cross. And through his resurrection, he is with us still today and for always, if we will only put our trust, our faith in him. Just think about that for a moment. Whatever life might throw at us, we need never, ever face it alone. Why? Because God is with us. The creator of all things. The one who breathed the very life we have into us is with us. We've been through unprecedented times as a a world over the last couple of years. Times when life has been really very hard for many. Where everything we took as being normal suddenly changed. Whatever we might be facing, whatever we might have to go through, I want you to know today that we need never face it alone. Because God promises that he will be with you always to the very end of the age. What an absolutely amazing promise. It is in him our hope is found. When you look around our world, we don't see a huge amount of hope. We see a lot of difficulties, wars, hunger, terrorism and all of that. But we don't see a huge amount of hope. My parents were married in 1956. They've both gone on to be with the Lord many years ago now. They'd always wanted to have children from the very early days of their marriage. But it was not to be for many years. I'm not quite that old. But I am the eldest in my family. And I was born during the first half of the Vietnam War. The first war, I suppose, that was really fought out on television with such horrendous images bombarding people every day. And I remember my mum saying to me that after all the years waiting to have a child, when she looked around the world now that she was finally having a baby, she wondered and worried as I'm sure many did at that time, what kind of a world am I bringing a child into? Now, I was lucky. Both my parents, as I said, were people of faith, which I think makes a huge difference in terms of hope. I want to show you in the screen some words to a hymn that I'm sure you'll know. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. That hymn was written by an American couple, Bill and Gloria Gaither. And the circumstances of its writing 
are quite similar to what I've been sharing this morning. In the late 60s and early 70s, America was in turmoil with war in Southeast Asia, riots back home in the States. And at the same time, Bill Gaither fell ill with mononucleosis, which left him exhausted and barely able to move. When suddenly Bill and Gloria discovered they were expecting another baby. They asked themselves, if the world is like this now, what's it going to be like in 15 or 16 years' time? What's this child going to have to face? It was while grappling with that question, they realised the power of the risen Jesus Christ and the hope that he gives for tomorrow. Whatever the circumstances... And that's what led them to write that hymn that we've sung so often. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Hope is now not to be found in this world. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Hope that equips us to face the insurmountable to deal with the seemingly impossible all through Christ and what he did at the cross. The hope that we have because God is with us. If we will only turn to him in faith, surrender to him, bring our troubles to him. Reach out for the outstretched arms of the one who loves us. The one who died for us. Will you reach out to him today? Amen.